everybody. Welcome to Wednesday night's edition of Narrative Live. Boy, I'm getting a little worn out by all these uh, horrific scenes that we've been witnessing over the last few days. It's exhausting just looking at them. I can't imagine the life that people are living in Ukraine right now. I mean, the horror that we're seeing night after night, moment after moment, Michael, is just unbelievable. Unbelievable what's going on. Michael McKay is with us tonight, our Ukraine analyst. Hi. Yeah, what do yeah, you I mean, just your thoughts on the what we're seeing, just a humanitarian disaster of an, an unbelievable scale. Yeah, it, it's a humanitarian disaster, but we start with the fact that it's a war crime. It's a war crime that, um, that we've not seen. Well, I, I wanted to say since the Second World War, but that's not true, that we've not seen since Syria uh, very recently. And we're talking about what's happened today in the city of Mariupol and also other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually so have some of the video and I can't even show it because I feel like it's so distressing. I'm going to show some of it as we get to it. I think it is important to show some of it, but just so people understand in Mariupol, there is a performance theater where 1500 people were seeking shelter. It was the largest bomb shelter in the entire city, um, already mm-hmm. suffering from horrific conditions over the last 21 days of bombing and shelling and the siege, which has left them hungry and tired and without any power. These people were seeking shelter in this bomb shelter, which is really a theater. And the Russians bombed the entrance of that theater to today, knowing what it was, of course, indiscriminately targeting humans. It's beyond belief that this is the level of depravity that uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russians are, are sinking to. Yeah, it's horrific. As you say, 1,500 people known to have been there before. They can't, that we don't know casualties because it's so difficult, the rubble. And, uh, you know, rescue services are doing everything they can, but we don't know right now. The Russians also bombed a swimming pool that was known to be a shelter, and there were a couple hundred people there. And I also want to point out that today they launched uh, rockets at the civilian convoy that was attempting to flee through the humanitarian corridor from Mariupol to Zaporizhia. So there were about, I believe, 400 cars or something, and uh, they were rocketed and uh, people were killed in their cars. Again, unarmed civilians in a designated humanitarian corridor. I'm going to try to get us that video of what's happening in Mariupol with that theater, but I want to show you another scene again. This is a very distressing video, and I want to warn anyone, uh, everyone, really. This is not stuff that you would see otherwise on TV. It's very, very difficult to look at. There's a lot of uh, bodies involved here. And I apologize for airing it. I just have, think we have no option but to air it in this case, because I think people need to understand what Vladimir Zelensky was saying today about the horror of what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, there is a genocide going on. There's really no other way to describe the events that are going on right now. This is people going to get food, uh, get, get bread, really, just not even food. They have really only getting bread at a local store or standing in line to wherever the supply was coming from and were shot at by the police. Again, this is very hard to watch video, but I'm going to play it for you anyhow. So even the local newscasts there are not showing the bodies, I mean, blurring them out at least. It's just horrific. You know, earlier on today, the Associated Press released a, their three-week now, a, a report from what happened in Mariupol. They're the only people who had video 
and, uh, and photographers in Mariupol. The video is so distressing. You know, it's hard not to cry as you watch it. I'm going to show you again. This is very distressing. I'm warning viewers not to, if you're screaming in any way, do not watch this, but I'm going to show it anyhow. I think it's important that people understand the horror of what's going on in there. The sound on this is also unbelievable. Those were, I believe, the first pictures we've seen of that mass grave in Mariupol where, you know, the descriptions of the of the children that are buried there amongst the adults, the kids who, you know, who died while playing soccer. And it's 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 unbelievable what the reason they've had to dig that mass grave and they don't have any other way of burying their slain residents is because they have to do it very quickly. They just don't have time to go and dig proper graves for people. So they the quicker they can dispose of the bodies, the more safe they will be. So all they can do is rush out to these mass graves. They're all in hiding under basements, in basements, under the ground over there. It's, this is a hundred thousand people that we still think are trapped inside Mariupol, the city of 400,000 people, 300,000, you know, are said to have evacuated. Hopefully that's true, but a hundred thousand remain there. They've been under the most extreme, awful conditions you can imagine over the last three weeks. And it's appalling. It's just, you know, this is a prized city for Putin He's, as he attempts to try and complete this, I guess this bridge is what they're calling it, from Luhansk, Donetsk, all the way to the Crimea and Odessa. He's not going to achieve all of that. He's going to achieve none of that because the people of, of Ukraine in Mariupol and elsewhere have been so uh, remarkably brave and courageous and have stood up to him in such a remarkable way. But instead of leaving the country that he shouldn't be in, instead of retreating from the country he shouldn't be in, he is committing a genocide there. There's no other way to describe what is going on there. It is an absolute human tragedy. 
you saw some of the video there of the photographers. I'm going to play that as we're talking, Michael. Um, uh, these are the actual pictures that the photographers took from the Associated Press. As you look at these children that are just huddled, um, waiting for their for their parents as they're dealing with an emergency response. This is that famous picture of the maternity ward. The Russians said they didn't bomb, but clearly they did. This is what it looks like to get food right now. If you're lucky in Mariupol. This is residents in a bomb shelter, in a shelter, basically in a basement. It's not really a bomb shelter. All they have is that one light in the middle of winter. This is a woman whose son had just been brought into the, the hospital um, at Mariupol. This is an, another boy. I'm not sure if it's her son, but it's a... Uh, You know, these are just very painful pictures to look at. They're just very painful. It's another father, um, his son that passed away. And these aren't even the, the worst of the pictures that we've seen. I mean, these are just ch ch children, just children being slaughtered for no good reason by a monster, by a monster who has no reason to be in this country, except I don't know what the reason is. I can't have... I've stopped trying to figure out what, what uh, Vladimir Putin is trying to do over there, but it's uh, incredibly, uh, it's just very sad. Very sad. Um, Michael, why did you say something? I'm just going to, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah it, is, it is very difficult to look at, but we have to. We have to know what's going on. Yeah. And we have to look at this and uh, we have to do more. That's our only response people we have to do something with our shock and our pain and we have to do something we have to we have to stop this and we just have to find a way that's the point we have to stop this um, that we have to, and it has to be done fairly quickly. I mean, this cannot continue. These people are just uh, dying by the day. You know, each of these people have a story. Each of these children have a story. You have their families, their relatives that are going through enormous amounts of pain. It's not, you know, it's easy to look at these war situations and think about it's just numbers, but think about it in terms of your own family or your own child dying or any anything like that. You'd be a, the trauma would be horrific and lifelong. I mean, it's just nothing you would ever recover from. Not to mention the emergency response people and the uh, soldiers there. I mean, this has been a, I have not ever seen anything in my lifetime that's looked like this. And I know there have been massacres and attacks on cities like Aleppo and Grozny, but we didn't see it in the way we're seeing this war. And, and, uh, and I want to point out, Sev, that it will only get worse and it has already gotten worse. Those images you showed as distressing they were were from a couple days ago for yeah. example uh, we had one man in an ambulance there are no ambulances left we had people in a hospital all the hospitals have been bombed except one that hospital has no supplies now there are so many wounded and injured coming in that children who have lost limbs are left to die because mm -hmm. they cannot save them that's that's, that's, that's yeah. to get to today it's going to get worse. And there's, you know, 30,000 people were able to evacuate, we thought, from Mariupol. And yet they were struck along the way as they were, they were evacuating. They were on their way to, I'm not sure where they were on the way to, because I know they split up at certain points, but that convoy they were They in, were going to the only place they could go, a city called Zaporizhia, and they were, uh, right. they were hit with uh, multiple rocket attacks on the way. 
We're going to get uh, to uh, Vladimir Zelensky's uh, address to Congress today and the Biden administration response to that. But I, there is a lot of news happening tonight out of Belarus. And I have to say, we don't really know what is going on in Belarus right now, but it is breaking news and it's worth us just trying to piece together what we do know. There have been a series of explosions. Um, and I'm just going to put on this map here. Um, this is live UA maps. Thanks very much for letting us use your 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 data from tonight. So what we're seeing in in in, in Belarus, which is you know north of Ukraine, is a series of explosions in a number of cities in there. Uh, you know you can see them listed there under where my mouse is. It seems like fighter jets took off from various airports and air bases and started attacking Belarus targets and. No one really knows why. I mean, there's a couple of ideas as to why. Why don't you try uh, explain what one of them might be, um, Michael? What, what do you think is going on here? Okay, one of them is that this is uh, Putin. These are Russian jets. Mm -hmm. And this is an attempt to create what Americans know as false flag. But what the Russian experience calls the Manila incident, where they bomb their own as an excuse to enter a war against the intended target. So this would be uh, Putin. It doesn't matter how flimsy this is saying, oh, it's the Ukrainians who did this to try to bring Belarus into the war on Russia's side and uh, participate in the offensive. On March 11th, they did the same thing. They flew a jet into Ukrainian airspace, they flew back over Belarus, and they dropped bombs just across the border to make it look like it, it was a Ukrainian attack aircraft. Because Yeah. Know, In this case, it's going to be very hard to say that Ukrainians did this, um, and it seems quite... Well, yeah, that's just it. Deliberate. It's, it seems it's like it was making sense. It's possible that to be true, but mm. that doesn't matter when it's all propaganda. Mm. So here's the map. It just everyone positions themselves well over here. This is... Uh, you know, the incidents that have taken place in Belarus, this is Belarus territory up here. When you see these things, they're basically explosions reported in a number of Belarus cities. It's very close to Kiev. Um, so Kiev over here is, uh, is this over, this over here, right? Basically is Kiev, is that right? Yeah. You know, this is where the Russians have made a, whatever they would call it, in a, some sort of advance. And they've tried to besiege the city. They've not succeeded, as you can tell. This is the city here. They've managed to come up to this northern part. But there's not really anything happening on this side, so it's, you can't call it a siege. But it is interesting that out of Belarus tonight, we're getting these alerts of these bombings. And they're, you know, these are legitimate bombings. We've heard them from various sources. I've actually heard this audio of the, of the bombs. It's unclear what's going on because the alternative might be, as we've been seeing over the last couple of days, is that most of the Belarusian population or population of Belarus, 97%, is opposed to this war. There's maybe 3% that are interested in participating in this war. And of course, the dictator there, Lukashenko, has every uh, need to follow what Putin tells him, which is probably that you have to join the war. And uh, the soldier, the ranks, the soldiers in the rank and file there are just not doing it. They've been blocking supply chains to the Russians. They've pretty much determined that they're not going to go. They're just refusing to go to war in Ukraine. So this could be the Russians in some sort of meltdown mode. I don't know. Are they just blowing up their own facilities? Are they trying to bomb the Belarus people into submitting into war? I can't imagine what this is. It just seems unusual to me. If it is the Russians, they're not bombing their own facilities. They would never do that. 
they would blow it up in fields or in some yeah. civilian infrastructure. Right. So that's what it would be if it was them. But if it is a coup, then it leads on from the refusal of the Belarus army to join the war. You see, Putin ordered his puppet Lukashenko to join the war, and Lukashenko in turn ordered his commanders, uh, but not all of his commanders agreed. And those that did, when they ordered their soldiers, they absolutely refused. In the left part of your map there, to the left of those red dots, that is where Putin desperately wants his Belarus allies to invade. So down across that line, across the border, is a Ukrainian province called Volyn. So that part of Ukraine, right up against the Polish border, is where he would like the Belarus army to invade. They were expected to do that. The war plan was two weeks ago Mm. for this to happen. And the Belarus army has sat in their barracks. Mm. So we can call this a mutiny. The other thing that Putin wanted is the Belarus Air Force to participate in the bombing and missile strikes on Ukrainian cities. They've stayed in their bases. Um, So... I don't know what we can call it. There's a sit-down mutiny of the Belarus armed forces that's going on. They refuse to take the orders. But Putin is desperate. You know, we saw that he summoned Lukashenko to Moscow, all kinds of thunderous noises. We know that Putin's giving the orders. We know it's not getting down to the troops. I've asked uh, some of the people that I know in the uh, opposition, in, in the Belarus opposition, if they could tell us what's going on. And if any of them were watching, it'd be great if they could uh, DM me and share that. But one of them, uh, Franek Vyachorka, I'm not sure how he said, is saying Belarusians interrupted the movement of over the railway to stop the deployment of Russia's equipment to Ukraine. So that large convoy that needed supplies and and needed to be, you know, was intended for Kiev, amongst other things, was stopped by Belarusians who refused to let the train leave the railway station. Yesterday, they stopped the trains near the Belarus-Ukraine border. No one in the country supports the Russian invasion. Belarusians keep fighting by all possible means. And in fact, you know, you mentioned the coup. There's been some statements, and I'm, and I'm loath to call it an official statement by any opposition leaders, but there's some statements online that are certainly saying that it, the international community needs to declare the Belarus Republic as a an occupied territory, that it's been occupied by the Russians, um, which Absolutely. in fact it seems to have. And th- this, is a, this is a peaceful and diplomatic thing that we can do, that we absolutely must do. Remove any recognition of Lukashenko. He's not the legitimate government. A positive mood would be to recommend these people from the opposition called the Coordination Council, mm-hmm. and uh, fellow Frank Viacorcha uh, is one of them, as the government in exile. That's something we did in the Second World War, for example, recognizing the Polish government in exile in London and, and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, thought we'd Yelena done that, haven't we? Tinkankova as the president because she was elected in August yeah. 2020 yeah. and had the presidency stolen from her. So we could do that. We could say that is the government in exile of Belarus. This is an occupied country under the Lukashenko regime, and Lukashenko has no legitimacy. This is the, the proper yeah. diplomatic foundation for us to move forward. And the people of Belarus are also, you know, now under the strain of these economic sanctions that they didn't really deserve. I mean, they this is not their war. This is Putin's war. This is Russia's war. So they're but paying look, look, for look at how Putin has cast it. He's created this fake thing called the Union State of Russia and Belarus mm-hmm. to basically say that's the same thing, that there is no difference. And if you look at it militarily, that is true. Although, you know, as I pointed out, Belarus is an untrustworthy ally. But you mentioned as well about the disruption about the railway supplies. I know that this has an effect. 
because what this does is it means that the Russians have a very tenuous supply line, not just in the invaded territory or temporarily occupied territory in Ukraine, but all the way back through Belarus. And I've been reading reports from the armed forces of Ukraine that the reason why the Russians have not been able to develop an offensive on both sides of Kiev, as you pointed out, it's not uh, besieged, Mm -hmm. is they're not getting enough ammunition and they're not getting enough food. And these are pretty basic things. Yeah. If you don't have either of those things, well, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to loot for food and you're not going to get ammunition. There's no offensive. I read in the latest uh, military report of the Ukrainian Defense Force that they are essentially, they, they've made enormous gains today, just today, um, against the convoys that are trying to attack uh, Ukraine. And in fact, this map that we see here, the one that I have, um, in this area that the Russians had occupied or supposedly occupied these little red areas here, they've shrunk over the last 24 hours. I think they've shrunk, at least they appear to me to have shrunk. So, you know, if you look mm-hmm. at Kiev proper, the cities, this this area here, right? This is what we're talking about is the main part of the city? Yes. And so they're up here on the eastern side and on the north side, well, on the northwestern side, I guess. But they don't really have a capacity to, to besiege the city. So there's no point in even trying. No, and they never will. Yeah. They, they'll never gain that capacity. They've reached a, an inflection point. They've reached a, a moment where it could not possibly be done now. Yeah. So you've got this army that's on the run, a weak, tired, hungry army that's on the run. And yet at the same time, because he's losing the war, I guess, I don't know why, he's, he's bombing Mariupol and these other parts of the country into submission and into... I, I don't understand the rationale behind the, uh, you know, erasing of Mariupol from existence. I don't, not that he's a rational person. I'm not trying to suggest that. I just, I just don't understand why they're doing this. It just makes no sense to me. If you, if you understand that it is based upon hatred of the Ukrainian people. So mostly um, Russians that live in, in Mariupol. There's mostly Russian speakers. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, those people in that video, they were all speaking Russian. It's yeah. a, almost, yeah, it's a very Russian uh, city. The people who've um, suffered the most are the Russian-speaking people in Ukraine. Those are the people who have suffered the most. That is absolutely true. And that points out the contradiction mm-hmm. of this hateful ideology that drives it. So boy, when, boy, when it's hatred is... of Ukraine, it's not, it's not hatred of people who speak Ukrainian or ethnic Ukrainian. It's hatred of the idea of Ukraine as a nation. Um, well, That its very existence must be exterminated. And maybe it's anger against those Russians for not, you know, kowtowing to the Kremlin's rule. I mean, maybe it's, it's anger against everybody. They persecute the Crimean Tatars for wanting to live in peace in their own homeland. So it is against everybody who is not for his regime. We've seen the regime become completely fascist, uh, openly so. If you heard the speech by Putin today, it was unmistakably uh, fascist in tone talking yeah. about fifth columnists and exterminating enemies and uh, uh, spitting out the non-Russians like flies from your mouth. Yeah, let's take a look at what he said. And, you know, this followed Zelensky. So we'll get back to Zelensky in just a second. But it is yeah. soon after Zelensky spoke to the American Congress, Putin spoke to the Russians. You know, that, again, I think a big sign of weakness here. If Putin has to respond to Zelensky by basically trying to reduce his uh, coverage on television by doing his own address, you know, we're dealing with a man who's clearly uh, against the ropes here. 
He said three things that really struck me. One is that Russia's soldiers do everything that they can to avoid losses among the civilian population of Ukrainian cities, which is just a lie. It's just a bold-faced lie. There's no ways they're doing anything to defend anybody in the civilian population of Ukraine. Then he goes on to say that now this is about the West trying to convince you know, what he believes is the West is trying to blame Russia for everything. So he says, now they are trying to convince you that all your difficulties are the result of some hostile actions by Russia and that from your wallet, you need to pay for the fight against the mythical Russian threat. Putin said, all that is a lie. Well, of course, it's not a mythical Russian threat at all. It's a very real Russian threat. And then he goes on to do this, which I think is a real dog whistle to the US right wing by saying the West is trying to cancel Russia likening the international pressure to Russia to anti-Semitic pogroms that the Nazis staged in Germany before during World War II. Now, of course, it's hard to even comprehend what he's talking about there. But the cancel Russia thing is a significant thing. Yeah, but notice who his target is, what the audience is he's addressing. Who is the <laughs> enemy for him? He used the term the collective West. You know, so he, he talked about what he was doing in Ukraine, but he was very clear who the enemy is and who his war is against, the collective West. And I think we have to understand that and take that seriously. It just so happens that Ukraine is the Western country that's the closest target, and therefore they suffer first. Mm -hmm. But Ukraine is the West. And if we are a part of the West, then they are with us. And this is our war. He's clearly stated that his war is against the collective West. There's no doubt that this is a, you know, and we heard that from Zelensky today. Zelensky basically told the Congress, you know, we're fighting for you. We're fighting for everyone's freedom in the world. And we need your support for that reason. I'm going to play a little bit of that speech. I'm going to fact play the entire English portion, which came after that video that he showed showing what had happened to his country in the last 21 days. So this is Zelensky talking in English and addressing specifically Joe Biden. Some would say shaming Joe Biden. Today, today it's not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens. And you know, what he's saying there is really, in some ways, directly shaming Biden, I thought. You know, it wasn't badly intended. I thought he was wording it very carefully. But, you know, the statement was not, did not leave anyone thinking Joe Biden is, is walking away, uh, you know, without being some criticized here. He says, strong does not mean big. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and the citizens of the world. Basically saying, you know, you're not being as strong as you can be. I'm sure I would differ with that. I think there is a lot of strength that's coming out of the Biden administration in terms of the economic sanctions and leading the world. But of course, you know, I'm not the one dealing with rockets being targeted at my bomb shelters with my population being slaughtered as, as Zelensky is. I mean, there's no, the fact that he can maintain this sort of dignity and the, the ability to craft these speeches and, and be so smart about the way he's handling things is kind of remarkable considering everything that he's having to deal with. Well, when Zelensky says strong is not being big, that's where he's addressing Biden in the United States, because mm -hmm. of course, that's what's big. Mm -hmm. But 
in my view, when he says strong is being brave, he's talking about Ukrainians. Mm, of course. Yeah. I don't see this trying to shame Biden or Americans. He's talking about Ukrainians because that is what they've demonstrated. They are brave. And because they are brave, they are strong. And did you notice the shirt he was wearing? The cross that was on it. That's the emblem of the armed forces of Ukraine. He was showing that he is the commander in chief of the armed forces of Ukraine. Hmm. I didn't and notice that. That's that interesting. is how he was speaking. So he was doing so. Of course, he was addressing an American audience. But hmm. believe me, every Ukrainian listened to that speech. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to quibble with you a little bit here. Strong doesn't mean big. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and the citizens of the world. You know, I don't think he's talking about himself necessarily, although he is referring to himself because it does encapsulate him. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I, you know, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, uh, it's translation from English. He, he means a person. Okay. Let's look at uh, what else we got here. The, so the response came right afterwards. I mean, everyone was you know, suitably moved. Everyone was crying. Everyone said everything they needed to say. There's one line that seemed to really capture everyone's imagination was, I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. So this is in relation to the now almost 100 children that have died in the conflict there. It, again, a direct you know, request for the world to take some action there, to do something to stop those deaths. And then you know, we got back to these, the line that we've seen many times in, in these speeches up until now, which is what we've entitled today's show, Close the Sky. But he also said it this way, I need to protect our sky, which is just true. He needs that protection. Now, Here's what I think did happen today that is maybe gone a little bit unnoticed in that he got a lot of what he wanted. He said, I'd love the fly zone, but I, if I can't have that, these are the other things I would like. And it appears to me that Biden did step up with that. In fact, if you look at the just the raw numbers themselves, $1 billion was spent just this week or committed this week to Ukrainian military support and humanitarian support. That's more, that's exactly half of everything that's been spent up until now. And when you look at the actual deployment of these weapons that have been asked for by Zelensky, 9,000 anti-armor systems, 7,000 small arms, 800 anti-aircraft systems, 20 million rounds of ammunitions. But the big thing that everyone's talking about is the drones that were given today, which are, I haven't been given them yet, they've been promised them yet, which are things that look basically like this. You know, these are uh, basically auto-piloted planes. I mean, they're very nimble. They weigh about five pounds. It can be carried around wherever you go in battlefield, but these are very uh, useful to target, you know, as you see here, tanks or, or to target specific positions with weapons and their drone-operated devices. And just so, uh, do you think that Zelensky got what he came for today? He got some of what he came for, and these are good measures. But what I hear from Ukrainians I'm in touch with and who I follow, it's too late to save lives that have already been lost. That's the sentiment. And there's just sadness about that. Tremendous sadness that, you know, this is not a new thing. This isn't unexpected. Ukraine has been asking this for this for eight years of war. Eight years ago is when Russia invaded. So they needed it long before this. They certainly needed it when the events have started it. You know, they need it every day. So any day it comes is good, but every day is too late. In fairness, though, no one really expected this ferocious an assault. I mean, no one could have. I don't think anyone could have. 
That is not true. Ukrainians expected it. Expected this ferocious assault on the entire country? Yes, it was certain because that has been Putin's plan all along. If you look at the invasion of Crimea and the invasion of Donbass, that's as far as he was able to go then. Hmm. But it was has always been clear that his agenda is the annihilation of Ukraine. Ukrainians have been saying that. They've been saying, look, this is a continuity right. of the Holodomor of the 1930s. It is the continuity right, of the right. invasion by Bolshevik Russia in 1918. But in the weeks before. The Moscow Empire, and it is inevitable that there would be a large offensive to obliterate Ukraine. Nobody could say exactly when or where but it always was inevitable. And Ukrainians have been saying that all along. But in the weeks before the, the war, this, this current invasion, there was a sense amongst Ukrainians that this wasn't going to happen. I mean, it just was it's what the Americans were out there saying, this is going to happen, but the Ukrainians, were, you know, it doesn't I, matter I, at this I, point. I, I, it's just, yeah, just like no, one, and, uh, no one could predict this. It was unpredictable in the, to the scale that it's been, because I don't think anyone would have predicted you know, even Putin's predictions were that it's going to be over in two days or three days. So he's landed up in this quagmire, and who knows why? Maybe that's why he's reacting in the way he is. But the, you know, this is a mess that is could have not very few people could have predicted. I, I think. Again, I disagree. I know that this story is going around in the United States. Oh, we warned the Ukrainians, and they said the offensive wouldn't happen. That's simply not true. The Russians began preparing, mobilizing for this current offensive at the end of March last year. So March 2020 into April, they began this. And the Ukrainians were saying, look, this is happening. This is the preparation for the offensive. And the Americans began to notice and to start to tell their European allies around uh, sometime in the fall. But then the Americans started to make projections based upon their Cold War thinking about Russia as being like the Soviet Union. Oh, there's going to be a big offensive and they'll take Kiev in two days. And the Ukrainians said, well, that's not how it's going to be. It's going to be more of what we've seen in Donbass, but just bigger and get us the weapons now. Mm -hmm. That's what the Ukrainians said. And when they said, oh, the offensive's not going to happen, they were saying, it's not going to happen in the next three or four days. And they were right about that. But when it was going to happen in the next three or four days, that's when they said, yeah, that's because this is what their intelligence was telling them. Don't forget that the Ukrainians have much better human intelligence about the Russians than the Americans do. The Americans have superior signals intelligence and a lot of other things, but nothing can beat Ukrainian military intelligence, human intelligence about the enemy. There's um, a lot of human intelligence that they do have, the Americans do have in Russia. I do. I believe that they have an enormous capacity there. Ukraine must have too, I'm sure. It's maybe not a different kind of human intelligence in terms of, you know, there's actual spies, I think, in, in yeah, Like I said, the Americans have signals intelligence yeah. that leads to that. Anyway, but, you know, so, this is not uh, important. I think at this point, you know, we can argue these things and we can debate these things after the victory. I think what's interesting today is that Zelensky and Biden were able to close that gap a little bit that they had by allowing this, you know, pretty impressive haul of weapons to be confirmed for the Ukrainians. And I'm actually going to put up the list because I think it is very telling how much of an increase this is from what they've had in the past. It's uh, essentially what you're looking at here is, you know, it says, I think it was like 600 Stinger missiles had been previously allotted and they're now going to provide another 800 or something like that. That's a significant increase for the Ukrainians. These drones are a particularly big 
increase for them. And I think that matters a lot. And I, you know, it's a significant amount of weaponry. Now, how quickly it can get there, how quickly it can be deployed, how quickly the Ukrainians can be trained up. I don't know. Those are all good questions to keep in mind. But, you know, if there's any question about America stepping up, I think they have stepped up. And I think they've, between Zelensky's asks of the last few weeks and uh, Biden's resistance, I think we've seen that gap closed quite significantly. Because these I think we have. And yeah. good thing I hope that happens is I hope that it is an example to European allies and to Canada and to other friendly nations to step up as well. Yeah. Um, because whatever the United States does, all these other countries can do proportionally. I want to point out that the Baltic countries are already doing more than their size, I uh, would say. But, you know, they're very small uh, relative to the United States. And I think, you know, we need to see larger countries uh, step up. I've been able to find the sheet here, so even though this is even smaller for you guys to see, but I can tell you it's 800 Stinger anti-aircraft systems versus that originally sent 600. So there's 600 that have been able to do what they've been doing up until now against the Russians. Now they're adding another 800 of those Stingers into the field. So a total of 1,400 Stingers. That's a lot more capability that the Ukrainians will have to resist a lot of the tanks and the aircrafts that are coming at them. 2,000 Javelin and 1,000 light anti-armor weapons and 6,084 anti-armor systems. I'm not even sure what all those are, but they previously had 2,600 Javelins. So this is a lot more. You know, It's almost doubling the number of Javelins. 100 tactical unarmed aerial systems. I believe those are the drones that we just saw. 100 grenade launches, 5,000 rifles. Interestingly enough, they've run out of rifles because so much of the citizenry and their reserve has been called up. They need these actual, like, you know, handguns and pistols and machine guns and shotguns, 400 of each, and over 20 million rounds of small arms, ammunition, grenade launches, mortar rounds, and body armor and helmets. I mean, in addition to everything else that has been sent previously, including all the intelligence and the radar system, plus the stuff we don't know, because there's obviously stuff happening behind the scenes, it hopefully will go a long way to at least assuage the Ukrainians who are doing this courageous fight that the United States is very much with them and behind them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get you to agree so yep. much. Yes, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, all right. So I think, I, I don't know if I've got anything else left to yak about this evening about the situation. I'm sure there's some other things here I can, I can play, but uh, you know, I'm going to just quickly look at the messages here and see what folks have been saying online. On This is at narrative.org forward slash TV, where we have a, our interactive players and you can comment and ask questions. This is Andrea saying, uh, interesting comment about the cross he was wearing. A U.S. rep or senator tweeted out a complaint that Zelensky was disrespecting the U.S. by not wearing a suit. I mean, <laughs> he's in a bunker, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's crazy. I hope, uh, who did that? I wanted, do you know who did that? Do you know if anyone, I don't know which US rep did that. Good comment, Andrea. Uh, David is saying it's the switchblade drones are of the kamikaze type and they only cost $6,000 a piece. Great kit. $6,000 for a drone like that? Really? Daisy Fiddler is saying we're not giving them jets. I don't know if it's totally determined that they're not getting the jets. I just don't think they're getting them anytime soon. But I don't know if they've been yet, if those Polish jets are completely off the table yet. I think they're still under discussion. Um, I might be wrong. Yeah, Do you know that, that, that boggles me. That, you I know, think. that they can clear the hurdles on uh, these weapons deliveries, but a simple, you know, 
repositioning a jet from Poland to Western Ukraine can't happen overnight. It's just especially because the things flying. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's got to do with supply chain or something like that. Someone told me, but I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's something else going on there. The Russians have failed to acquire air superiority with the Stingers and other ground-to-air missiles. They can literally close the sky. Uh, so what David is saying here is true that you know they can close the sky now because the Russians don't have air superiority. But what I think the Americans are trying to avoid, and NATO is trying to avoid, is actually striking at Russian air defenses in Russia. That's the thing that they're trying to avoid the most, and they feel like they'll need yeah. to do that for. for but it, it's never been about that. It's been about striking Russian bombers and Russian cruise missiles that are over Ukraine, which is where they should not be. Yes, and that's why these stingers and these other drones are going to be effective in terms of fighting those things. I think I believe so. So. That all is interesting. Meanwhile, in Russia, we have a real, I think, historic moment. I think we're seeing the end of an era with Vladimir Putin up against the ropes. I think he's seeing, there's an interesting story I tweeted out just before we got on the air tonight about the amount of journalists that have been fleeing these state-run media organizations. They've been resigning en masse. And, you know, that stuff becomes noticeable to viewers at home when your favorite anchor or correspondent is no longer there. But we really are seeing these sanctions taking a bite and also a large number of Russians fleeing the country. I mean, considering the set of scenarios he has in front of him, he's in a very difficult position and he's got to be seeing the end soon. I mean, even though he's pretending to be as you know full of bravado as he is always and seeming as aggressive as always, he must be thinking about how he can get out. Well, he should be in a difficult position. And the way he can get out is easy. Withdraw all of his troops from Ukraine and deoccupy all of the occupied territories. The, I mean, get out of his job. I mean, I, 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 yeah, yes, I agree with you all and all that. But also, I think it's like it's in terms of his, it's, you know, this is his exit ramp for his career. This is not something he can continue to, you know, this is not something you can live down and it's not something you can justify. So, you know, he must be thinking, how am I getting out of this? And I'm wondering if, behind these somewhat you know promising words from lavrov who said today that there was hope for a compromise between the ukrainian and russian negotiators maybe there's something there maybe we are seeing a, a sort of a, an acceptance by putin and the russian leadership there that you know transition time has come and they need to do something to start walking out of this horrible situation that putin has led them into well just like putin everything lavrov says is a lie so, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> although there was, I, they did seem to have some sort of agreement around being sort of neutral, right? I mean, both sides sort of agreed. It felt like they were agreeing that, that, that Ukraine that, would not be part of NATO. Projection of it. Ukraine was neutral when it was invaded in 2014. Yes. But it would say so, it would never, uh, it wouldn't be part of it. We would maintain a, a neutral stance in the going forward and wouldn't participate, wouldn't attempt to join NATO. I, no I Ukrainian said that. Did you think Zelensky was saying that he was reconsidering? No, the, absolutely his, not. Okay, I am he wrong. He did not say that. And if he did, he would not be president for very long. Not saying that he wouldn't be part of Europe. Not saying he was saying they were going to adopt a neutral stance like Switzerland and still cooperating with Europe, and but not seek a, a NATO membership. That was the Russian position. Okay, um, there you go. I'm being it was not the Ukrainian one. All right. Well, no, it says, everyone says this here. Like, let's, let's look at, I'm trying to see. I guess this is, maybe we're all being spun, but the New York Times. We are, New York because Times, you're looking at, at Ukraine through a Russian lens. Right. No, I'm looking and at the New York Times. I'm looking at CNN. I'm looking at CTV News. I'm looking at Global News. 
they're all saying uh, the same thing. But I guess I'm... Uh, and, and they're all wrong, they're all <laughs> which is wrong. why I pay no attention to them. Uh, which is why we have you on here. All right, I'm going to... Uh, well, independence in the UK says Zelensky concedes Ukraine will not join NATO. No, I'm tell me it's all they're, all, they're all talking to themselves. Exactly. All right. In an echo chamber. How about the Kiev uh, independent? Do you believe them? They're pretty good. They said, Zelensky believes Ukraine will not enter NATO despite open door policy. For years, we heard about open doors, but we understand that we cannot enter, Zelensky told representatives of the Joint Expeditionary Forces. He added that Ukraine needs new formats of cooperation. Okay. And what he was saying in Ukrainian is what we understand is there is resistance to NATO now. So what we understand is reality that we're not going to join NATO now. But he's not saying that we're going to give up the idea of joining NATO. Ukraine is a sovereign country. It can make any alliance it wants, and it cannot take that away from itself and remain sovereign. So when he says we acknowledge that, he's saying that's where we are right now, that for this war, for the next few weeks, we are not going to be in NATO. So you know, why are we going to waste any time saying that? Hmm. That's what he's saying if you look at what he said in Ukrainian. Well, that's why we're lucky to have you here because you get to explain to us what, what they say in Ukraine. Ukrainian. I think that's the end of the show. We've been talking for enough time now. Uh, Michael, thanks for being here tonight. You know, it's a range of emotions. Certainly, I am having a hard time looking at the reality of what that war is looking like. I cannot fathom you know, what it must yeah. be like living in Ukraine in those war zones. I, I just cannot fathom how ordinary life could have turned so instantly for everyone and suddenly within weeks become this. It's just... Uh, it's brutal, and we have to stop it. This has to stop. You know, yeah. this is why. Um, that's, that's what I say. We we cannot look away. We have to figure out a way to stop this yeah. together. And this is why the message from Zelensky was so important tonight. That even though he seemed to agree on some sort of middle ground around the no-fly zone, the point was that they still need to close the sky, and hopefully, the weapon systems that they've been provided will do that and hopefully they'll do that in, in short order hopefully they can get them to them really quickly and hopefully that uh, at least the skies in ukraine can be and we secured. can be confident they'll do that look at what they've done with the anti-tank weapons that they've received just before the offensive started you know and and know what they will be able to do when they get the good anti-air weapons we yeah. know that they will shoot the russian air force out of the sky Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Uh, Michael McKay, our Ukraine analyst at MHMCK. Thank you very much for being here tonight. Uh, thank you, sir. We'll continue our coverage of, of this war until uh, the victory is here. And we thank you for being here. Our narrative will be on the show on Friday uh, when the after show returns. Have a good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.